John chapter 12, verses 20 through 24. The scripture reads, Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. If you have your Bibles, underline that word Greeks. That can also translate to Gentiles. Gentiles were pagans um, who do not, um, did not receive God as a father, did not know him as Yahweh. They were outside of the Jewish tradition. But these Greeks, they had come to worship at the feast. And in verse 21, it says that they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. You have these Gentiles, who are not Jews, requesting to come see Jesus, the King of Jews. So in verse 22, Philip came and told Andrew, and turned Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour that the Son of Man, the hour has come that the Son of Man be glorified. Now, when he says this, you've got to understand the context of where he's at in his stage of ministry. Jesus is really close to the cross. In fact, when you read John chapter 11, you see Jesus performing the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. Y'all familiar with that passage of scripture? This is for all my Bible scholars. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, but if you continue reading, you'll see that the religious elite, the Jews, at that moment in time, they solidified in their heart and mind that they were going to plot to conspire to kill him. So now the religious elite, they're just done. They're trying to kill him. But then when you get to John chapter 12, you see two distinct moments. First, you see Mary of Bethany anointing Jesus with that alabaster box preparing him for his burial. Then you see that great moment that we talk about with Palm Sunday. Hosanna, Hosanna, where the people lined up along the road and laid down palm branches for Jesus riding on the donkey to enter into Jerusalem, thus fulfilling prophecy of what the Messiah would do. So Jesus is close to the moment of the crucifixion. And now that we have Gentiles coming to worship him, It has sealed it in Jesus' heart that it's time for him to be glorified. Here's why. Because the work that he would perform on the cross was not just for the Jew. It was also for the Gentile. In order for these Gentiles to really uh, get the full benefit of their salvation, he would need to die on the cross. And when he died on the cross, it was for both Jew and Gentile. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the time has come, the appointed hour for Jesus to die. So he starts to talk in this cryptic language. You know, Jesus, when he talked to the disciples, there were times he would speak very plainly. And then there were times he would speak in parables and illustrations. And so he decides to use an illustration. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Unless a kernel, a corn, a seed of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. The word of the Lord in the church said, I want to bring a topic to this moment, buried alive. Buried alive. At our Tuesday night service, we talked about the giant sequoia tree, one of the largest trees in the world. You see, the sequoia can grow to be up to 300 feet tall. That's taller than the Statue of Liberty. At its widest point, it can grow to be nearly 30 feet in circumference. 
These trees can live to be several thousand years old, surviving wildfires, floods, and heavy winds. These trees are naturally resistant to all types of diseases and pests. It is the tree that is known for its staying power. It is a tree that is known for its size and for its strength. But you want to know what's crazy? That the largest tree in the world comes from a seed that's less than a quarter of an inch big. Isn't that amazing to you? I, I fell asleep a lot in biology when I was a kid growing up. But now that I'm a believer, I'm amazed at the way that nature works. And how it confirms the intelligent design of a creator that's greater than us. I just told you that a 300 foot tree comes from a seed that you can hold in the palm of your hand. A quarter of an inch, that's the size of a sequoia seed. And that little seed can produce something huge. Seeds are tiny but powerful. And somehow God and his divine creative genius makes big things come from tiny packages. One seed can produce generations of fruit. And I'm here to remind you that you shouldn't despise humble beginnings. Because God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. It blows my mind that a seed that small can produce something so big. But God has the ability to take the small things and to enlarge them. He'll use crazy folks like you and me. People who were disqualified and use us as a seed to a movement. He, he recruited the disciples and all of them had issues. All of them were rejected. But God chose them and he used the seed of the disciples those 11 men to transform the world and turn the world upside down, God can use tiny packages to deliver big promises. And seeds are a miraculous reality of nature and life. Most seeds contain three components. First component, an embryo. An embryo is like the baby plant on the inside of the seed. Similar to a woman when she becomes pregnant, there is a fetus. There is the beginnings of a child that you can see forming on the inside. Uh, an embryo uh, will eventually grow into the plant that you will eventually see. Secondly, there is a supply of nutrients within that package. Everything that seed needs internally to grow uh, will exist within that seed. And then third, there is a seed coat. That seed coat acts as a shell to protect the embryo and to protect the nutrients within the seed. Seeds innately have everything they need to be productive on the inside. Here's the catch. They need the right conditions and they need the right environment to grow. They need the right conditions and the right environment to grow. And guess where the right environment just happens to be? Buried underground. See, some of you are looking at your life right now. You're saying, I need better conditions than this. You're looking at the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm not growing at the rate that I should because everything around me is dirty and difficult. But in the picture of the seed, the seed cannot grow unless it goes into the dark place. The seed cannot grow unless it is buried underground and it has to have the right conditions within the seed itself. And there must be the right environment around the seed. And it just so happens that that dark, damp, dirty place is the fertile environment environment for that seed to be developed and here's the powerful thing that a seed can remain dormant for years before it starts to germinate 
which means that you can have a grandmother or a great-grandmother that has some seeds on her windowsill. And she could pass those seeds on to her daughter, and, and your mother can pass them on to you, and there's a chance that under the right conditions, that seed can still bear fruit. They've even done studies. They found seeds that are several thousand years old that have not been germinated. But under the right conditions, a seed that's been laying dormant for years can bear fruit. Now, here's what you got to understand about the dormancy of the seed. It is strategic to the survival of the seed because if that seed were to begin to bear fruit prematurely, it could not survive. So inherently, the seed is waiting for the right environment and the right conditions. And at the right time, it is activated and it begins to grow. Just because it's dormant doesn't mean it's dead. And that's a word for some of us who are here right now. You're looking at your life and it seems like everything is dead. It's not dead. It's just dormant. It's not a denial. It's just a delay. If God's hand is on your life, if he's giving you promises that you can trust and believe that those promises will come to pass. But we get frustrated with the dormant stages, which brings us to our focal passage. Verse 24, Jesus says this, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain, a kernel, a seed of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain, much fruit. Now, at this moment, Jesus is talking specifically about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He's made it clear that I must die in order for many to have life. He will eventually carry the sins of the world to the cross. Once he dies, this singular sacrifice, according to the book of Hebrews, he is the greater high priest and the greater sacrifice, the sinless lamb who was slain for our sins, once he dies, then many can live and have eternal life. Here's the gospel that we are born in sin and shaped in iniquity. If you ever looked at all of the hardship in the world, all of the pain, all of the suffering, people wonder why is there so much pain? Why are there so many issues? We as Christian believers believe that it is because of sin. Sin is a reality and we are born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Sometimes people do things that they should not do and that's called sin. Sometimes people harm other people, and that is a result of sin. Sometimes people are born into situations that are less than ideal. It is because we live in a broken world and a fallen culture, and sin is the culprit. But Jesus came so that we can be rescued from our sins. Every other world religion emphasizes man's effort to get to God, the things that you do to appear right before God. But Christianity is different. It focuses on God's effort to get to us. Sometimes people think, when I get to heaven, I'm going to stand before some scale and hope that my good outweighs my bad. Can I tell you something about me? I know I'm the pastor. I know I'm the preacher. But I am utterly convinced that my good will not outweigh my bad because I am a fallen, broken creature who has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I am a product of grace. And it is his grace that makes me sufficient to be able to stand before the Lord in that final hour. And bow my head and say, I'm not worthy. It's not my stuff that's going to be on the scale, but it is Jesus himself who will step on the scale. And because he is sinless, because he is perfect, because he died on the cross for my sins, I will get into heaven because of what he did. I am saved by faith, through grace, not by works, but what Jesus Christ has accomplished. And that's why he came to die so that we 
Somebody say us's. So that us's can have eternal life. So that we can be saved. That's the beauty of the gospel. The single seed, Jesus, died. He, he purchased our freedom through humility. Humiliation. Humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, so that many could live and have eternal life. So, so he was trying to help people understand in the gospels that he had to live to die. He would be crucified on the cross. But three days later, he would come from underneath that tomb and he would resurrect. He have all power in his hands. He had to die so that many could be fruitful. That's Jesus' responsibility. Aren't you glad Jesus died on the cross and not you? I mean, sometimes we like to talk about justice. Justice is people getting what they deserve. But I thank God for the Christian principle of grace, this notion that I don't get what I deserve. See, it keeps me cool when somebody does something to me. All I have to do is reflect on stuff I've done to other people and how God could have taken me out. But somehow, some way, I experience grace. Somehow, some way, I experience mercy. And because I have experienced mercy, I become merciful. I have been forgiven of my sins. I don't know what you did last summer. We don't have to sit and compare notes. But I can tell you that all of us have done some things that we're not so proud of. All of us have done some things that have harmed other people. All of us have done some things that have been offensive to God, yet he still loves me. Yet he still calls me his own. Yet he still invites me to come boldly before the throne of grace and obtain mercy when I need it. I'm so glad he died on the cross because there's no way I could have handled it. He died on the cross for us. And so because he died the final cross and the final sacrifice, there are no more sacrifices, no more animals that have to be killed so that you can be right with God. Now, your neighbor say amen. Because if every time I messed up, See, some of y'all, y'all like, only time you want to deal with a dead animal is if you're preparing dinner. <laughs> but in the Old Testament, it wasn't just about dinner. It's about divine reconciliation. The animal had to be sacrificed, not so you can have lunch, but so that you could commune with the Father. And in the Old Testament system, you had to offer sacrifices, blameless sacrifices, to atone for your sins. But now because Jesus became the final sacrifice. All we have to do is receive the gift. Repent when we fall short. He hears us and instantly forgives us. And continues us on our journey. Of becoming all that he's called us to become. He died so that we don't have to. That's Jesus' responsibility. But Jesus continues in this passage of scripture. He says this is my responsibility to die for the sins of many. But anyone who wants to follow me has a responsibility. In this season of life, your relationship with God can't just be about what you're trying to get from him. It can't just be about the demand that you want to pull from heaven for God to do some things in your life. In this season, there are some things that God wants from you. There are some things that God needs from you. Ask not what your church can do for you. But ask what you can do for 
your church. Ask not what God can do for you, but, but ask what can you do for your God. This is a reciprocal relationship. We don't have to take the greater side of the covenant because Jesus already died for us. We don't have to die a physical death, but we must die a spiritual death. Jesus died the physical death, but we have to die the spiritual death. Here's how he describes it in verse 25. He says, he who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He's already saying that if you want to follow Jesus, there are some things you have to disconnect with. There are some things you have to, the scripture says, hate in comparison to your love for the creator. You must have the mindset that you're willing to lose your life in order to gain a better one. And that is the wrestle between the person who sits in the chairs and the person who decides to finally yield to Christ. It is the wrestle of your will. It's you being willing to give up anything and everything that is contrary to his word and to live a life of picking up your cross and following him. The world says, do what you want to do. The world says, do what feels good to you. The world says, follow after your pleasures. But that's not the gospel. The gospel requires self-denial. Which means that there are certain things that I have to leave behind in my past. There's certain things that I have to walk away from. There's certain things that I have to put to death. Certain things in my life need a funeral today. Certain things in my life, they need to be closed in a casket, never to return again. Because whom the sun set free is truly free indeed. Who the sun set free is truly free indeed. Any person that's in Christ is a new creature. The old is gone. The new has come. So we don't die a physical death. We got to die a spiritual one. He says, you have to hate your life in this world and keep it for eternal life. You got to be careful how you, remember, you know, um, how you reminisce about the good, to- the good times. You have to be careful how you reminisce about the good old days. What you used to do back in the day when you were slimmer. And um, could fit in certain types of clothes and spend time in certain types of places. Be careful how you reminisce about how you used to live before Christ. Because the scripture says that You should hate the things that were attached to the world, including how you used to live before you came into the saving grace of Jesus. Why? Because there's a new life that God wants you to embrace. Some people cannot embrace the new life because they're too attached to the old life. You allow the fear of the enemy to apprehend you and hinder you from walking in the full, complete newness of life in Jesus. But you got to be willing to let it go. Some people in here, you're still holding on to stuff, still got stuff in your closet, numbers in your phone, people in your network, things under your bed, ideas in your head that you need to let go of. I don't know why you're holding on to them. I don't know, but all I'm telling you is that it's probably hindering you from walking in the fullness of life. And I'm here to tell you that there is a boldness that you must have in this hour. Trust me, what God has for you is better than anything you had in the world. Trust me, what God has for you is greater than anything that you ever had before. And God wants you to walk in abundant life. John 10 and 10 says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came so that we can have life and life more abundantly. I don't want mediocre life. I want abundant life. And the only way to get abundant life is to jump in all the way, both feet. It's like summertime when you want to get into that pool. 
I know some of y'all can't swim, but for those of us who can, you get to a point where you just got to take a jump and get in. Stop just sticking your toe in the pool of Christianity, trying to feel how the water is. It's never going to be warm enough. Sometimes it's going to be a little cold, but God is saying, I need you to jump in. I need you to give me your all. I need you to take this thing seriously because you reap what you sow and you're wondering why your seed has not produced fruit. It's because you have not buried yourself alive. He says in verse 25, here's his promise. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, my father will honor him. Wow. See, we spent so much time trying to get the world to honor us. We just dealt with this identity series. You know, many of us spend so much time trying to make people like us. But people don't have a heaven or a hell to put us in. So busy trying to impress people and trying to impress mama and them and trying to impress your co-workers on your job and trying to impress everybody that you went to high school with so they know that you're not a bum. And you just front trying to impress everybody. You look in the mirror trying to impress yourself. But I know who I am. I know my identity. I know who my father is. I know the DNA that's running in my veins. I know who I am because the scripture tells me that I'm a child of the king. I am a royal priesthood and a chosen generation. But the scripture indicates that when we surrender everything to God, that the father in heaven honors us. We're not doing what we're doing so that somebody can give us a little plastic trophy in the earth. The scripture indicates that there is a reward in heaven. There's going to be a crown with some gems in it. And that crown represents what we did while we were in this earth. The father will honor those who sacrificed for him. You may not get your reward on this side. But boy, I can tell you there's going to be a party in heaven. I can tell you there's going to be an award ceremony in heaven. I can tell you there's going to be a recognition in heaven for those who are willing to give up their life. God has something in store for those of us who are willing to sacrifice now to receive honor later. So here's the gospel. Jesus died a physical death so that we can have eternal life. We don't have to die a physical death, but we've got to die a spiritual one. Salvation begins when we die to ourselves. The seed of the word is preached and planted into our hearts. We acknowledge our sinfulness and surrender to the Lordship of Christ. We confess with our mouth. We believe in our heart. We are born again. When a woman becomes impregnated, there is a seed that enters into her womb. That seed produces a fetus and new life has been born. When you receive the Holy Spirit, God impregnates and creates new life. And now you are born again. Your old life is done. Your new life has become. When we die to ourselves, new life comes forth. But here's the thing. This life called Christianity is not easy. See, some of us are frustrated because even though we made that commitment to Christ, we're still buried. We feel like we've been in a dark place for way too long. And we're frustrated at God. You've asked yourself the question, when am I going to sprout? 
When am I going to manifest? When am I going to become all that God has called me to become? When? It's the question we're asking. And God is saying, you did not get into this for your own selfish purposes. You got into this because my son died on the cross for you. That the gospel is not some means to your personal self-fulfillment. But the gospel is a means to the accomplishment of the will of the Father. But in that, when we submit to the will of the Father, he has an appointed time for us. An appointed season. Some of you are asking the question, when am I going to sprout? When am I going to see real growth? Remember, seeds innately have something inside of them that can bear fruit. Everything they need to be productive is on the inside. They just need the right conditions, and they need the right environment to grow. If you recall, seeds contain three components, an embryo, a supply of nutrients, and a seed coat, the shell. Sometimes the environment is perfect, but the conditions aren't right. See, when I was doing my research, I learned that sometimes what hinders the embryo from breaking forth is that the shell of the seed is too hard. The seed coat, although the contents are ready, the coat is too hard. The shell is too hard. Although the soil is right, the temperature is right, the moisture is right, it's the seed coat that's hindering the seed. So technically speaking, the seed is still alive, but the shell has to be broken. Because there can be no fruit, biologically speaking, if there's nothing alive on the inside of the seed. So part of the seed has to die. See, when we come to Christ, the shell of who we are has to die. But we are born again. We say it all the time. During funerals, that body that's sitting out here is just a shell. Because his soul, his spirit has returned to the Father. If he's a believer, he's with the Lord now. To be absent from the body, to be absent from the shell, is to be with the Lord. In this picture illustration, when we let go of our old life, that shell has to be broken so that this new life can come forth. In a sense, the seed coat has to die while the contents of the seed are very much alive. Remember, a seed can remain dormant for years before it starts to germinate. But just because it's dormant, doesn't mean it's dead. So if you want to experience growth in this season of your life, that hard shell has to give way. That hard shell has to die. Let me speak to two categories of people. I'm going to speak to those of you who aren't saved yet. You have not received Jesus as Lord and Savior. I applaud you for being here. It's a great first step for you to come to a place of worship But it's not just about you being in a house of God. It's not just about you following preachers of God. It's about you receiving that word in your heart and allowing it to bear fruit. You need to get saved. You need to surrender your whole life to Jesus and allow him to map out a new process for you, a new journey for you. It starts with you being broken and acknowledging your sins and confessing them to the Lord and saying, Lord, I want to be saved. There is a desperation that must come from your life. You can't just keep up showing up to services. It's great, but that does not save you. You can come to church every single Sunday and still not get it. 
You can connect with your favorite denomination. You can follow your favorite preacher online. But if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, according to the scripture, you are lost. The first shell that has to break is the shell of your pride. You have to submit. Receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is the beginning of your journey. And I'm not naive to think that there aren't people in here that need to get saved. The young need to get saved. The old need to get saved. God is no respecter of persons. But we all have to come through him the same way. We have to come to him through the same way. And that's through Jesus Christ and surrendering our life to him. That's the first category. But then some of you, you, you are saved, but you're frustrated. You are saved, but you're struggling. You are saved, but you're looking at the conditions around you and you're just wondering, how am I going to get through this? I'm here to remind you that that seed might be dormant, but it's not dead. The shell has to be broken. The seed coat has to die so that the contents can come alive. And the only way for that to happen is for you to go through some things. The dirt The darkness in your life is working for your good. You might be buried, but you are alive. Dead to sin, dead to self, but alive in Christ. 